0: That, those, those that have kids, pick them up in the modular building this evening. We've got a new rule. They're not going to be released until they're released to you. we had a couple too many that are just running around everywhere. We don't want anybody when it's getting darker to get behind a car. So now that we're going into the darker months, they're released only to you. That's a service announcement from the music teachers in modular. <laughs> Good evening. Uh, we've been talking about call allegories. Last night we talked about four trees. Tonight we're looking at two brides. And uh, the story, the incredible story about our missionary and uh, the work he's doing uh, is a fitting introduction to, uh, to me that's just a beautiful story. I know the man the miracle-working power of God, the faithfulness of God, uh, the the wonder of salvation is what we're going to be looking at tonight. Two brides, of all the rich allegories in Scripture, none bears the heart of God more than the word pictures he draws of his passionate love for us and intimate relationship with us. It's a story both heartbreaking and heartwarming because it unveils the depths of our corruption and unloveliness and underlines his persistent wooing of us and loving us. It's not an easy story to tell or to hear. Scripture is unsparing as we're going to see in its honest depiction of us. Things we would rather not speak of nor acknowledge about ourselves. We are born slaves to sin, and sin knows no boundaries. There is no depth to which we cannot sink. Even after our salvation, the habit of sin remains strong. We bring that bad habit with us into our relationship with Jesus and the Father as He builds the church, the body of Christ one saved sinner at a time. We sit here this evening as a group of saved sinners, and that sinner still clings to us. In the end, it is from such a promising clay that his glory is revealed on earth, and his wisdom becomes known to principalities and powers in heavenly places. And thankfully, because God is God, and nothing can deter him from his purpose. We're made altogether lovely by his work in us, a fitting heavenly partner for our redeemer. We start in a very bad place and we end up in a very wonderful place. Our biography begins in Genesis where our downfall is recorded and we are revealed as rebellious and disobedient sinners. But the story ends gloriously in Revelation our holy and majestic king of kings. There are three parts to the story. Our personal biography, our biography as a sinful earthly bride, that's where we are now, and finally our future as the perfect bride of Christ, where we will be one day. So we're going to begin by looking at our personal biography, and let's begin by... A word of prayer. Father, please bless us tonight. This word is so rich, so beautiful, and your love is so pure. Uh, give us a glimpse of that tonight as we talk about what you've done for us, what you planned for us, despite ourselves. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our personal biography is, in a sense, also Israel's biography. I'll explain that in a moment. Our personal biography is a story of ruin, redemption, relapse or backsliding, and restoration. It begins with a single act of unthinking disobedience by the first human couple recorded in the third chapter of Genesis. And it brought immediate ruin to what God had just pronounced very good. from there traces the downfall of each new generation of persistent sinners. Most books of the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, telling varying degrees of detail about sinners born as cast-offs from the family of God and the effects of their sinfulness. None does it better than the prophet Ezekiel, especially in a single astounding chapter 16 that depicts our ruin, our redemption, our relapse and ultimate glorious restoration. So that's where we're going to begin. Uh, And the story there begins with a horrifying depiction of a newborn child abandoned, unlovely and helpless. Ezekiel chapter 16 verses 1 to 5 Again the word of the Lord came unto me saying, by the way I apologize there are no notes tonight. It's been a very busy week for me, and I simply forgot. So, please forgive me. Uh, I'm not. Don't have too many scriptures to share with you. Um, so, verse two: Son of Man calls Jerusalem to know her abominations. Jerusalem here is a type of Israel. Uh, the references Israel. And thus saith saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, Thy birth and thy nativity was of the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite and thy mother an Hittite. That's a very insulting reference. You come from a trashy background, basically. And as for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, your umbilical cord wasn't cut, neither wast thou washed in water to suffer thee Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. Nothing was done to clean you up or to uh, protect you at all from any kind of infection. None eyed pity thee to do any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out into the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. In modern language it means You were detested, hated on the day you were born and thrown away like a dirty piece of trash. Can you imagine that, the horror of that experience? And then we see that God who finds us in that state, he's talking about us in our sinful state, helpless slaves to Satan and to our sin. And then God rescues us, cleans us, loves us and beautifies us. The story goes on. And when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in my own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in my blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in my blood, live. The repetition there is to drive the point home. You were a cast off a bloody little, filthy little newborn baby. Nobody wanted you. And I found you and I breathed life into you. I caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field. And thou hast increased and waxed and graped. And thou art come to excellent ornaments, that means you've reached the age when you can wear jewellery. Thy breasts of fashioned, thy hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. You've grown old enough to get married. And I spread my skirt or my cloak over thee, and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. Then washed I thee with water, yea, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee also with broidered work, and shod thee with badger skin, that means fine leather sandals. And I girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. I decked thee also with ornaments. I put bracelets upon thy hands, and a chain on thy neck. I put a jewel on thy forehead, and earrings in thine ears, and a beautiful crown upon thy head. Thou wast... Thus wast thou decked with gold and silver, thy raiment was of fine linen and silk and broidered work. Thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil, and thou wast exceeding beautiful, and thou didst prosper into a kingdom. You attained a position of royalty. And thy renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty, for it was perfect through my comeliness, my splendor, which I had put upon thee, says the Lord God and then rejoicing in our new life our freedom and our beauty we inevitably play the harlot selling ourselves and all God's gifts to any sin that will have us from verse 15 to 22 but thou didst trust in thine own beauty Played the harlot because of thy renown, and poured out thy fornications on every one that passed by. His it was. That phrase means he stole, the one that you and him fornicated with stole your beauty. And of thy garments thou didst take and deck thy high places with divers colors, and play the harlot thereupon. The like thing shall not come, neither shall it be so that it shouldn't be happening. Thou hast also taken my fair jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I have given thee, and made of thyself images of men, and did commit whoredom with them. Let's go through the next verses. Just continue to talk about the terrible deeds of this beautiful woman. Verse twenty-two, and in all thine abominations and thy whoredoms, thou hast not remembered the days of I do, but now was naked and bare and was polluted in thy blood. What a picture. What a shock to realize he's talking about you and me. We take sin so lightly. We rebel against God so easily. We walk away from him so quickly when things don't go our way. But God promises to deal with our sinfulness. Uh, Before we get there, look at verse 30. How weak is thine heart. It means how sick is your heart, saith the Lord God. Seeing that thou doest all these things, the work of an imperious, whorish woman, a bold prostitute, that's what you are. I saved you, I cleaned you up, I paid for your sin, and the first chance you get, you go and prostitute yourself to sin again. Look at verse 33. They give gifts to all halls, but thou givest thy gifts to all thy lovers, and hirest them, that they may come unto thee on every side with thy whoredom. And God promises, as I've said, to deal with our sinfulness in verse 59. For thus saith the Lord God, I will even deal with thee as thou hast done, which has despised the oath in breaking the covenant. And then, incredibly, that he is willing to restore us, leaving us speechless with shame at his great love. Verses 60 to 63. Nevertheless, despite all that, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of my youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. Then thou shalt remember my ways, and be ashamed when thou shalt receive thy sisters. If you look at verse. Those sisters are identified as Samaria and Sodom, really bad sisters. It says that's your family that you join in your sinfulness. Thine elder and thy younger, and I will give unto them, give them unto thee for daughters, but not by thy covenant. And I will establish my covenant with thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord, that thou mayest remember and be confounded, and never open thy mouth anymore. Because of thy shame, when I am pacified towards thee for all that thou hast done, saith the Lord God. What a dismal picture. <coughs> and it probably applies to every one of us. Well, we then look at our biography. That's our biography as individuals. You then have a biography as a sinful, earthly. This is the New Testament church. That first part of the passage, he's speaking of Israel, of course, as a type. Here, uh, he's talking primarily about the New Testament church. The incarnate God purchased the church with his own blood. We read that in Acts 20 and verse 28. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27, you can read that. Christ gave himself for the church to make it glorious. He purchased the church. He didn't just purchase us. He also died to establish the church. And the church is us. When we come together collectively and form the body of Christ, that's what Jesus paid for. But as we have already noted, the church is made up of sinful individuals. You and I individually make up the church. And each of us is a sinner go to the prophet Hosea you'll see an illustration of our transition Hosea chapter 1 our transition from individuals to a collective body that remains sinful in its individual parts. we're very familiar with Hosea if you know your bible at all the extraordinary story of a prophet in Israel and God tells him to go and marry a prostitute. This is a picture, it's a type, it's an allegory about once again, his people as individuals and as a collective body. And he wants his prophet, this godly man, to marry a prostitute and suffer the consequences as a living illustration to his people. And so we see there this amazing story untold. Uh, starting in chapter 1, verses 2 to 3, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibraim, which conceived and bare him a son. When our sinful lusts Cause us to desert him, God buys us back just as Gomer deserted her husband here. God buys us back and demands that we remain faithful to him because he paid so much for us. You see that in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet. Uh, uh, Gomer leads him, runs off, and goes back to her whorish ways. The Lord says unto him, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of a friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. That's they, bunch of drunkards, basically. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces. This is the woman he's married to. He now goes and pays her her price so that she won't wander around anymore. I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for a homer of barley and a half homer of barley. That was a high price for this woman and I said to her thou shalt abide for me many days thou shalt not play the harlot thou shalt not be for another man so I will also be for thee see here we see God speaking specifically to Israel but there's also a parallel in his dealings with us he had a covenant relationship with Israel and Israel abandoned him Israel turned their back on him Israel perpetually went after their own sin, their own ways. And uh, God is talking here, hinting at the fact that the day will come when I'm going to buy you back. And here we are. He bought us with the precious blood of Christ while we were lost in sin. And at last, we find deliverance in his persistent love. If you go to chapter 13, and verse 9. Look at this incredible statement here verse 9 of chapter 13 of Hosea, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thy help. And then in chapter 14 of verse 4, I will heal their backsliding, I will love them. Does to us and, and defiles us, he mocks God for what he's done for us, and yet he still says, I will love them freely. For my anger is turned away from me. I will be as a dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread, his beauty shall be as the olive tree, and his smell as Lebanon in verse 8, Ephraim shall say, what what have I to do anymore with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I'm like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit found. He will make us fruitful. So that's an awful picture, one picture, an allegorical picture of the New Testament church. Bought by God with the blood of his son, paid for gathers together as a group of sinful individuals to form the body of Christ and just persists in its sinfulness. Us. He's talking about us. That we, we so lightly take the sin that attracts us so easily. And yet he loves us still. And reaches out to us. And loves us. And forgives us falls to us and finally the story has an unbelievably happy ending mm. and we see that in our future as the perfect bride of Christ a graceful bridegroom and a glorious destiny await us in heaven we go to Psalm 45 uh, especially verses 10 to 17 we see there uh, an allegory about the bride of Christ the church, the daughter of the great king, and it presents the first complete picture of what God has in mind for those whom he redeems, particularly uh, from verse 10 to 17. Psalm 45. Um, I like the opening to the psalm, verse 1. My heart is indicting a good matter. It's Wonderful, poetic, Old Testament, uh, um, Old English, simply means my heart is stirred by a beautiful song. I will speak of the things which I have made, touching the king, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Um, And it goes on to describe uh, the God who redeems us and how he anoints us with cleansing oil, dresses us up. Then we come to verse 10. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people in thy father's house. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy lord, and worship thou him. And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich (coughs) among the people shall entreat thy favor. That means wealthy people who aren't part of God's family will come and lavish gifts on this beautiful bride. The king's daughter is all glorious within her. Her Clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto thee. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. Instead of thy fathers shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. What a wonderful picture. This is what he desires for us. This is why uh, he paid such a great price for us. This is why he gave us this fantastic book. This is why he sent prophets to us, and pastors to us, and preachers to us. This is why he devised the body of Christ. Because he's looking for a bride. He's looking for a company of people who he can lavish his love and glory upon. It's not something he has he'll ever have on earth because we are such persistent sinners. But I'll say what I've said before: if God will just find one group of people who will make the effort to glorify him, who will make the effort to turn to him, who would make the effort to walk with him and come together as a body and worship him lift their hearts to him and not look at their own problems when he finds that body of people you can be sure that his glory will be revealed in their midst and there's absolutely no reason why we should not be that body of people but it will take every one of us resolving i'm going to walk with god every day to the best of my ability and when i sin, and you will be quick to repent and ask his forgiveness and get up and continue walking with him. But we do have a wonderful future ahead of us as the perfect bride of Christ. Perhaps I should just mention also that, because it is a little confusing, the Israel in the Old Testament had a contractual relationship with God. We, in the New Testament, have a blood relationship with God, and that's a big difference. So we're going to have a future as the perfect bride of Christ, a graceful bridegroom, and a glorious destiny await us. Let's look at, uh, when well we've looked at Psalm 45, Isaiah 54, verse 5, identifies God both as our Maker and our Husband. Then the Song of Solomon, a beautiful love poem, In the Old Testament, uh, a very passionate love poem describing the relationship between God and His people. Now, it's written as uh, in the style of that day as a love poem. Some of the language is rather vivid, but what it shows more than anything else is the fervent love between Christ and His bride. We're just going to read 12 verses. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Sharon was a coastal plain known for its abundant wildflowers. <laughs> and uh, as the lily among thorns, so is my love among daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sun. Uh, it's also a little confusing because they, two of them are talking here and it's not clear all the time which, who's saying what. Uh, his love and the lover are speaking to each other. And she says, I sat down under his shadow with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons. uh, Flagons here were a delicacy made of dried and compressed grapes, a very expensive delicacy, um, which was believed to have aphrodisiac qualities. Comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. These two are deeply in love with each other. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. I charge you only, daughters of Jerusalem, by the rows and by the hinds, that's gazelles and young female deer of the field, that ye stir not up nor awake my love till you please. Don't disturb him. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe, a gazelle, Or a young heart, a young stag? Behold, he standeth behind our wall, he looketh forth at the windows, he showeth himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, and the time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. That's in the Bible because God wants us to get a sense of his passion for us, his desire for us. He desires nothing more than to just have our attention, our appreciation, to lift our hearts to him every day, to come into his presence empty-handed, not offering him gifts, but offering him ourselves to into that kind of intimate relationship with him on a daily basis. That's his desire. And we're not talking about some great king. We're talking about the creator of the universe. What an incredible thing. The God who spoke the universe into existence wants to have this kind of relationship with you and with me. And how often we just walk away from that, forget about it, get wrapped up in our own lives, in our own aims, our own ambitions, and turn aside from this. (coughs) In John chapter three, verses 28 and 29, we see Jesus identified as the bridegroom with John the Baptist speaking as the best man at his wedding. I'll let you read that on your own. Um, That's where Jesus is identified as the bridegroom. And then we going to turn finally to Revelation chapter 19. Uh, 21 and 22 to see the culmination of this incredible story and it's not I'm not doing justice to it there's not enough time the story that begins in Genesis and unfolds through the Old Testament and then the New Testament and we see what God is after all along (coughs) so Revelation chapter 19 Verses sixty-nine. When it Well, let's start in verse 5. A voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that's us he's talking about to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints the righteousness of saints he's talking about our righteousness and we have none it's the righteousness he placed upon us he gave us he made us righteous by his great sacrifice and then in verse 21 and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying; Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I made all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And then lastly, sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. I want my churches to get this message. The church that I bought with my own blood. And the invitation continues eternally. And the spirit and the bride say come and let him that heareth say come and let him that <coughs> is the come whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Only God could tell such a story. Only God could write it as, not as fantasy, but as fact. It sounds fantastical, but it's fact. We who are fortunate participants in that story appear alongside heroes like Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Samson and King David and others whose triumphs of faith are recorded in Hebrews 11. One of the things, you, if you know your Bible and you go to Hebrews 11, you, hear, you read about these people and it strikes you immediately. There's no mention of their failures, just of their triumphs. What glorious things they did for God. The glorious truth is that their sinful deeds and ours are forever washed away in the blood of the Lamb. And all that remains is the good that they did. That's all that will remain for us in heaven. Not our mistakes, not our failures, not our sin, but the good we've done in this life. This eternal, sacrificial lamb is also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The mighty king who loves us with an everlasting love and gave himself for us so that we could live forever in glory with him. And the challenge for us today is to show ourselves worthy of such great love by serving our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with a true heart and a clear conscience as we make our way through this present evil world. Father, please remind us, strengthen us, and continue, Lord, to draw draw us with your amazing love. Uh, so there's a little um, switch right there. Uh, push it forward. there you go this Uh, no I just, I just leave it on.
1: Hey, what's going on there, Mr. Gary? alright? Yeah, man. How good are you? Good to see you again.
0: Good to see you. Doing good, good, really. You're doing a good job. Yeah. yeah good right. <laughs> job. You haven't got your mustache caught in your, uh, your, uh... Your radiator fan on your car? Have you? No no. no, 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 no. I imagine. I imagine if you gotta do any work on your engine, you tuck that thing yes, in pretty good yes, or something. Yes, yes. I do a lot of work sticking down in there. Yeah. You know any kind of power tools? Yeah. i suck in air too. You know, I, I saw yeah. I saw a video on. I think it was probably on YouTube or something, but it was a girl. that was she was using a wood lathe. Yeah. And she didn't have her hair tied back. And some of her hair got caught in it. Oh, yeah. it'll, it'll rip your hair out. Yeah. Like, like them fans, like, they're, they're sucking air. She's so yeah. pulling stuff in. Oh, yeah. You know. She'd be lucky to pull her hair out instead of pulling her head. Yeah. Right, her yeah. 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 That'd mess you up. <laughs> Damn, real quick. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you guys. All right, night. be careful. Kay. So you got to turn this thing off?